morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And the last time we saw the healing of a leper and Peter's mother-in-law, and we're going to cover the first half of the chapter uh, in Mark this morning, where we'll look at the uh, healing of a paralyzed man and also the call of Matthew. And we titled this message this morning, Get Up. Uh, Jesus says, Arise. Other translations like the NIV where Jesus says, Get Up and, and Walk. Uh, either way, get up or miss an opportunity. And this morning, we see people that the Lord instructed them, the Lord reached out to them, and they responded to him in a positive way. They put uh, faith on, or feet on their faith, so to speak. So this morning, I, I just want us to be blessed. You know, I just have so much fun going through the Gospels. I really, really enjoy what I do. Uh, and my only prayer is that, Lord, just let there, let there be your words. Let me be filled with your spirit because I just have so much fun studying it and learning about what God is doing in the lives of others and what he does in our lives. So I think that we'll be blessed because we'll see in our lives that there'll be many opportunities where God reaches out to us and that we need to respond as well. In a culture more and more that's moving towards kind of sitting on the couch, whether physically or spiritually, and waiting for opportunity to break the door down, which doesn't happen, the Bible teaches us otherwise. It's a countercultural book. It always has been. Whatever society has taught, the Bible says, no, 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 that's wrong. This is what God says, and it's better for you. So let's jump in and check that out. Verse 1. It says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not, when they could, could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoned in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go your way to your house. And immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is especially enjoyable to those here this morning that are in somewhat connected to the medical profession and we're going to talk about the healings and what the illness is and and what Jesus does and the lengths he goes to just fix everything and make everything perfect in the first shot but in the first two verses we see that Jesus is preaching the word again this time in a house and people are coming from everywhere it's standing room only his word has been spread and the things that he's done has been spread all around the area no matter where he goes and true ministry often emanates from preaching of the word and branches off from there. Any ministry devoid of any scripture is destined to failure, even if it looks good in man's eyes. It's a failure in God's eyes. The word has to be part of it. We see that time and time again. Verse 3 and 4. 
It says, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now I'm going to go through other Gospels, as I always do. Bring them all together so you can see the whole picture of what's going on. Each Gospel writer felt it was important to leave out or to put in certain details that maybe one of the other Gospel writers didn't, depending on the audience that he was trying to reach. But the Greek word is paralutikos. It's a transliteration. We get in the English paralytic. There's not much different from the Greek word and the English word. Now, we can look at a few things that was wrong with this man. We can assume that he was a quadriplegic. He was on the bed. He had four friends or loved ones that were carrying him to get him to Jesus. So we can also speculate what his condition was. We don't know. Was it a condition, a degenerative condition, where the myelin sheath on the nerves started to degenerate? and therefore the corresponding nerves to the lower parts or the periphery of the body started to die or not work as well as they did? Was it a dis- some other disease? Was it an injury? Was it a fall where he might have broken up, he fell pretty hard and, and broken a bone in his neck somewhere up towards the top in the cervical spine? And what happened was the nerves that go out the foramen and were either pinched or there was an intrusion onto the fecal sac that houses those nerves that go to the brain. And what happens is the corresponding nerves to different parts of the body are just not working. We don't know. But I want to give you that detail so you can see, A, this poor man's difficulty, and B, the incredible lengths the Lord went to to bring him back and restore him as good as new. We have some awesome surgeons in this area, I have to tell you. I've had a few procedures done, and they are spot on. But there's nothing like what Jesus can do. There's always some type of pain or issue or you have to go back. I remember when my sinus was worked on, I had to go back twice because the first time he was very conservative. So it really refreshes me to read about this, how Jesus, in, in in the blink of an eye, can fix these people's problems. And he can do that in prayer too, better than any man can do while he's operating on you. But what do we know about this? Well, these four men, they weren't taking no for an answer. No way. Five of the, you know, there's, a, there's four men or four caregivers, friends. There's a, some type of mattress, and this man's lying on it. We can only assume each one of them took a corner, and they can't get through the crowd. It's standing room only, but they weren't taking no for an answer. This reminds me, so they go on the roof. Reminds me of the old, like, Mission Impossible series, you know? I mean, these guys were determined to get this loved one to Jesus. So what do they do? Well, they go up on the roof and they start taking it apart and they lower him through. Now, just to kind of explain to you what the houses were like back then, because you rarely saw saw snow and you certainly didn't see a blizzard, so they could have the luxury of having a flat roof. And the roof would double as a possible place to entertain guests in some portions of the roof to collect water. There's different things that the roof did. And there was some type of makeshift ladder where you can climb up the ladder and go onto the roof. And they were more thatched. They were more of natural elements, not like the, the shingles we think of today. It would have been very hard getting through the shingles and the plywood and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. But they, they're removing... Luke's gospel gives us great detail. He says they started removing tiling from the roof. I mean, these guys were motivated. 
They're up there. They, he's on the bed. Hey, you watch and make sure he doesn't fall off the roof while we start taking the tiling off. Did you ever think about this when you read this scripture? Or is it just me? Am I weird? I mean, it, it's, I think this is fascinating. So they lower the man to where Jesus is. I don't know about you, but I could picture Jesus preaching and, you know, and he's, he's an omniscient being. He's God. And he's preaching and and you, you can hear the rustling above him and you can see particles falling down and maybe in his hair. And, and all of a sudden, sunlight breaks through because they open that part of the tiling and the man's lowered, right? I could just picture Jesus smirking, smiling. So just saying, these guys have a lot of faith. This is, this is an awesome thing. And when the time was right, he addressed them. Because now there was, the elephant was in the room. There was no way around it. Uh, people were probably looking at him and looking up and looking at him. And when's he going to say something? So this is what's going on. Today, possibly what they did was socially unacceptable. They cut the line. New Jerseyans. <laughs> How do we feel when somebody cuts the line? I see a lot of laughter. You know, hey, I waited half an hour. What are you doing getting to the head of the line? They cut the line. They were determined to get to the Lord. And today, sadly enough, some allow peer pressure and family pressure to keep them from coming to the Lord. But not these guys. They weren't going to stop. We look at the persistence of the four men, but quite possibly the guy on the bed said, guys, please, well, I know there's a big crowd. I know there's people coming out the sides and hanging out the windows, but you've got to get me to Jesus. I don't want to live like this anymore. I beg you, please, just do me this one favor. I would just say that you, to, this to you this morning. Don't let anything stop you from getting to the Lord. Amen? Amen? If you don't know the Lord and you desire a relationship with Him, He will find a way to get to you. So don't let anything stop you from getting to the Lord. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. In Matthew's gospel, he goes further and says, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Be eupeptic, be joyful. Your sins are forgiven you. And we don't know the response of the guys who are carrying him, but quite possibly they might have thought, in their minds, sins are forgiven you. <laughs> we came all this way, we're tired, we carried this guy, we went up the roof, and then this is where you're going to leave it? We don't know. But did you ever come to the Lord, and there's something that you asked for, and he gives you something else, maybe what you need? The Lord is good like that. He gives us immediately what we need, but it may not be what we asked for, and he really wants to see if we're going to hang tough and hang in there and have enough faith to continue following him. He knew that the most important thing for this man was to have his sins forgiven. And there's a lot of reasons why people come to the Lord today. But, but as unspiritual beings, we're being called, we're, or we're being regenerated, but we don't really know anything yet spiritually. And there's things that we might want from the Lord. But the Lord is saying, your sins are forgiven. That is the most important thing, because when we die, that will separate us from him for eternity so he has the foresight when we don't to know what's good for us and i actually read some bible commentators and i'm not prepared to go as far as they have but some men that i really respect have said that it's quite or they believe that he said that because it was a sinful condition that put him 
in this place. Now, we know that sin and death were not the original plan. Uh, you know, death came in, sickness and illness came into the world because of sin and because of mankind rebelling against God. But that wasn't the original plan. And some believe that this man was, and, and this is possible, was such a grievous sinner that something happened to him. Could it be that he was an abusive man and in a drunken rage he fell and broke his neck? We don't know. But sin does lead to death. That's clear in the scripture. But I'm going to leave it as we're not sure. I don't think we could read too much into this. And although we may argue with the Lord about certain things, just keep this in mind. The bottom line is the Lord knows best. The Lord knows best. Verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's a good question. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Now as we can imagine, what Jesus said caused a disturbance. The scribes, they were part of the religious echelon. We've spoken about that. However, Luke's gospel tells us not only were there scribes, but there were also Pharisees and teachers of the law. I mean, they were all packed in the audience. Maybe they came early for a good seat. They wanted to voir dire him. They wanted to see what he was made of. They wanted to see who this new, young, up-and-coming prophet was. And really, they had the right to check him out. But unfortunately, they weren't open to what the Spirit of God was telling them. We're going to talk about that more next Sunday as we go to the second half of the chapter. But what's really important is they said these things in their hearts or they said it in their minds. I'm going to take a moment here and raise your hand if you know the answer for like two or three seconds. I'm going to think of something in my mind and I want you to raise your hand if you know what I'm thinking, okay? <laughs> so give me a few seconds. Okay, anybody know what I thought? I didn't think so. <laughs> sometimes it's a scary place. You don't want to be in there, trust me. I don't want to be in there sometimes. But the bottom line is that you can't read my thoughts. However, God heard what I said. I actually said, I think my son is the most handsome usher here, but that's just a, it's a personal bias, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but moving on. What they said in their hearts, Jesus exposed or answered out in the open. And that should have given them the first clue to Christ's deity. Now, when we take the three together, who can forgive sins but God alone? Absolutely. And he claimed to forgive sins. And these guys knew the law. They knew God's law. And Jesus fell into that framework. You only have two answers, two choices. If he's saying, I'm forgiving your sins, he's either God or he's a fraud. And they had the right to expose him, but they weren't listening. So he, had, he could forgive sins, he could heal from incredible things, and he could also read their minds. All points to the same thing, the divinity of Christ. And you know what? Today, people do the same thing. I mean, this is only a few verses in, in one gospel. Read the whole Bible. How do you not come to the conclusion that Christ said that he was divine? And, and still today, some under the banner of Christianity, they disbelieve it. Not true. Let me move also to the religious critics, which we're going to talk more about next Sunday. Religious critics, well, they're alive and well today as, as well as they were 2,000 years ago. Religious critics, they do nothing to solve problems in the community or in the church, but they want to stand in judgment of a ministry that's active. Number one, it can be motivated by jealousy. 
or it could be motivated by them wanting a piece of the action. And I have to tell you, we've been subject to religious criticism as well. You go into the community, you, you help people, you give them things for free, you try to bless them, you do evangelism, and the religious critics will just stand in judgment. They do nothing to solve the problem of poverty or racial divide in the community, but they never lack criticism. I usually say to religious critics, get off your posterior, stop pointing the finger, and help. And of course, they say it in a nicer way. But the bottom line is when people want to give you their two cents worth, sometimes that's all it's worth is two cents. Verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go your way to your house. Which is easier to say, Jesus asked. I don't know about you, but for me, neither one. I can't tell somebody, hey, I determine your sins are forgiven. I can't tell somebody, get up and walk unless the Spirit of God impresses it upon my heart to do that and gives me that gift of healing. So neither one is easier. However, on the surface, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because there's no empirical data to prove or disprove whether the person's sins were forgiven. How do you measure that? It's a spiritual uh, judgment. It's a spiritual understanding. Although from a spiritual sense, it's impossible. It's harder to forgive somebody of their sins unless you're God. So none of us in this room have that unless we bring them to the cross and Christ does it. But again, we didn't do it. In a visible sense, it's harder to say walk if your paralytic doesn't get up and walk. But easier in the spiritual sense, or... No, it's, it's actually not easier. <laughs> so, you know, you can't say to somebody, get up and walk, and, and if it doesn't happen, you're a fraud. And haven't we seen a lot of fake healings under the banner of Christianity? If you have the, 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 the gift, then use it. Otherwise, don't pretend to use it and give somebody false hope and make Christianity look like a sham. So one is a visible healing, a visible manifestation, and that's the physical healing. One is invisible, and that's the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, what's the most important of the two? Of course, having the sins forgiven. In Matthew 18, he says it's better to get into heaven missing an eye or missing parts of the body or being somehow maimed but, or, or, and, or be completely whole and be cast into judgment, into hell. So, and that was when he referred to things that cause us to stumble and plucking out the eye and all that kind of stuff. We'll cover that. Verse 12. And immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Notice, he immediately... Mark tells us, immediately got up and walked, which means that the man's belief in who Jesus did and in Jesus impressed upon him, emanated uh, an act of the will to get up and to walk. Now, the paralytic could have given a bunch of excuses and missed an opportunity. What do we hear today? Let's go through some of them. I'm scared. Get up and walk. I'm scared. I'm not sure. I don't see a different. I don't feel a difference. Oh, a lot of Christianity today is, is people try to get you to feel a certain way. Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings are like a roller coaster. And if you're Italian, it's even worse. Trust me. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> I don't feel different. I don't see a different. It's, it's not observable to me, Jesus. 
He could have said, I feel pressured. I'm not really too much into this Jesus thing. I want to wait. Some say, oh, I'll pray about it. We should always be in prayer. But there are some that, that use that as an excuse not to do something. Somebody's, you know, choking, call 911. I'll pray about it. That's an extreme. <laughs> but, hey, there's just some times we need to act, right? He immediately got up and walked. Jesus didn't have to grab his collar like a drill sergeant and say, Soldier, get up and walk. That wasn't Christ's style. I believe he was gentle when he said it. But he gave him a command, and the man had to act on his responsibility. And brothers and sisters, we do as well. When God calls us to do something, when he, when he commands us to do something, we need to act on it. Otherwise, we'll go through life as powerless believers. And that's not what the Lord wants. Now, some points to ponder before we move on to Matthew is, number one, sin affects us spiritually, much like paralysis affected this man physically. Sin disables us. Sin keeps us from walking properly. Sin ultimately leaves us spiritually helpless and spiritually vulnerable. Right? We start to use, lose our bearings. Our, we're not walking properly. We, we can't discern evil from good because we're just immersed and steeped in sin. And Psalm 66, 18 says that if we're, listen, we're all sinners. Okay, let's get that clear. But if we're just steeped in this habitual continuum, we do nothing to try to change it, even our prayers will be hindered. Number two, the friends of the disabled man were amazing and motivated, but could only help him so much. They could help him as far as getting him to Jesus, and then their work was completed. Think about that. In a spiritual sense, we can be like those friends. We can all be like one of those people carrying a corner of the, of the mattress, trying to get the person, the sinner, right, to Christ so that he can heal them and fix them, so he can say your sins are forgiven. We do that through evangelism. We do that through building bridges with people, right, giving out Bibles, you know, loving somebody. We can show love, compassion, and determination in saving the lost, but only Christ can heal their spiritual condition. I just want to say this. We should always be pointing others to Christ. There is a, an aberration in the Christian culture that's a person who has a Jesus complex where they get followers after themselves instead of pointing them to the Lord. First of all, that to me is a heavy burden. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. But second of all, it's very damaging in the church. Right? Jesus complex. We can only bring them so far. We can't say, hey, let me try this. Just give them to Jesus and let them do the rest. Three, Jesus offered something to the paralytic, but he had to literally take the next step, pun intended. He had to get up, take his mat, and he had to walk. And we also need to respond to what the Lord has done in our lives. Stop complaining, stop whining, and to move forward. And four, this was a complete healing. Jesus didn't say, go to the surgeon. He didn't say, go to physical therapy for six months. He didn't say, let me adjust you and then give you some drugs so the swelling goes down. He completely healed the man. And if you think about what that entailed, if the nerves were severed, they immediately had to be reattached. If the, uh, there was a, a, some type of impression, impingement in the fecal sac, he had to remove that. He also had to help the man in his brain, depending on how long he couldn't walk, to relearn gait patterns as he walked. Think about all that went into muscle atrophy, 
Okay, the muscles had to regain their vigor and their, you know, the soft tissue, all that stuff. And Jesus did immediately. Jesus didn't say to him, you know, Gabriel's off today. Can you, can you hold C4 while I reattach the nerves? I mean, he basically, he did it all. Complete. Verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and the, all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, who we know is Matthew, and said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it? that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, you can't say anything without Jesus hearing what you're saying. You know, you think your mom has bionic hearing? Jesus could hear everything. Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here's the call of Matthew. His name is originally Levi, and Matthew means gift of God. So you can see how his life changed when the Lord called him into ministry. Now we see many others in the scripture that had their names changed. Simon was Peter. Abram was Abraham. Uh, Sarai, Sarah, and Levi, Matthew. As a matter of fact, Revelation 2 and 3 indicate that as believers and overcomers, we will receive new names. So don't get used to your name now. And if you don't like your name, be of good cheer. The Lord's going to change it. But let's look at Matthew's life. At some point, he was a Jewish boy, and his parents named him Levi, which was an honorable name, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he becomes a turncoat. As an adult, he makes a conscious decision to follow the Romans and follow his pursuit of money against his own people. Now, if you were Jewish and you worked for the Roman uh, authority, you were considered a traitor heavily a traitor and Jesus calls him into his ranks it's amazing how the Lord can change people so he goes from Levi to a turncoat and then he becomes Matthew a gift of God and I love this I, I was starting to think about this and you could imagine that Matthew had awesome record-keeping skills see God can use some of our skills some of them he can't use he's got to kind of deal with them but there's other things that we have that are good traits that he can use to our benefit or to his benefit excuse me now we look at Matthew and we look at Matthew's gospel you realize that out of the four Matthew's gospel is the largest gospel by several chapters Matthew's gospel can be considered one of the most comprehensive gospels so certainly he took this tax collector reformed him transformed him and used his skills for the glory of God. I love the Gospel of Matthew. People say, oh, if you, you don't know somebody, you know, give them the Gospel of John. I love the Gospel of John, but I tell you, Matthew's right up there too. As a matter of fact, I like them all. <laughs> so let's move on. Let me ask you a question. For some of you that think God can't use you, I really want you to rethink that. Whatever your situation is, whatever your condition, you think God can't use you, I'm staring at a bunch of people that... A, some of them have really been transformed and God is using in a mighty way. And some of you are still moldable clay and you have to respond to his call. Every single person in here has a spiritual gift when you're called into his glorious light. And we all have the ministry of reconciliation. <laughs> Amen? 
And that's a simple one. It can be as simple as telling a stranger what the Lord has done for you. That's evangelism, believe it or not, you know? So it, it's exciting to see, and it's exciting for me to see as the pastor. And in verse 13, once again, ministry started with the teaching of the Word. Jesus was teaching the Word, and, and he somehow comes across Matthew, and he says, follow me. Matthew had to get up from his position and follow him. Verse 14 Let's read it again. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Understand, if you do a study on tax collectors back in the day, it was a lucrative position. Good benefits, stability. But Matthew walks away from it all. And all I can say is this is commensurate to Jesus passing by the CEO's office at IBM or Apple or one of those Fortune 500 companies and saying, follow me. And the CEO turns off his computer, leaves his briefcase on the floor, leaves his suit jacket around the chair, takes his tie off, gets up and follows Jesus out of the building. And you might say, man, that's crazy. Who would do that? You know, many have. As a matter of fact, one of our missionaries did that exact thing. He was making good, good money in the business world. Uh, not a young man. And God called him to be a missionary overseas. And he had to sell it to his wife. <laughs> but she trusted his godliness. And I'll tell you what, they've been incredible missionaries. And it wasn't something where the first year, like, oh, we can't do this, it's too difficult. They've been doing this for years. So it happens. When God is calling you, you follow him. There's no fulfillment on the earth that can compare to that. There's the initial call to salvation, and then there's an additional call to service. And each one of us are called to a different type of service, but we're all called. So this is where we're going to close for this morning. And today's title of the message is Get Up. And if I had more space, I could put Get Up or Miss an Opportunity. For the paralytic, it was an opportunity to have his sins forgiven. It was an opportunity to have a relationship with God on, on the life that he lived, temporal world, and for all of eternity. And to walk again and gain his independence. For Matthew, it was an opportunity for an exciting and once-in-a-lifetime calling into ministry. Now let's make this personal. Last Sunday we had a young man who, when the altar call was given, I didn't even notice, he just coolly and calmly walked down the side and he just came and he came right up to me. Basically with his body language saying, where is this Jesus? This is what I want. I'm interested. What do I have to do? You know, where, what's the next step? God called him, and he responded to that call. We have to fight against what the culture is teaching us. The culture more and more is teaching us to be slothful, and many are being rewarded for being slothful, and that infects the church as well. And it, it's reflective in some of the church's desire for spiritual things. Eh, eh, not really that important. You ever see people do that? Eh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Ministry opportunity is not going to break through our door like a battering ram. God is going to speak to us if we have a relationship with him, and then we respond in faith. You know, I've over the years visited different people, who, including my father, who had to go for physical therapy after an injury. And if you know any of those PT people, professionals, it can look mean. Get up. No, you can't sit there. You know, Basically, they get you up and they get you moving. And again, it looks mean, but it's an act of compassion and mercy. Why? Because they have to mitigate 
major scar tissue formation. They also have to mitigate the possibility of the connective tissue becoming too weak to support the person. So immediately they have to get you up and they have to move you. It's an act of mercy and it's an act of compassion. By the same token, many today are paralyzed with fear and self-defeatism. And that's not a good thing. I just want to share with you, um, you know, a story about two salespeople. And look at the way each person handles a situation. And in many ways, they start off saying the same thing. So there's this huge shoe uh, company. They make all these shoes. They're the biggest, you know, corporation around, and they have two salespeople, two main salespeople, and they send out an email, and the email says, we want to break into the third world. We want to go to unreached places and sell our products, sell our shoes. So the first salesman, he's still sitting at his desk, he goes on his computer, and he starts researching uh, in a search engine, populous third world countries, and he sees all these images of people who are barefoot. So he responds by sending his boss an email back and says, uh, you know, I've got other things to do. Nobody there wears shoes. No opportunity. I would like to opt out of this challenge. The second salesman disappears for a month. He does his research. He gets on a plane. He, he goes to these populous areas in the third world. After a month and five weeks, a big package comes back to the, the company. And the CEO looks at this big package and first he looks at the note, and the note starts off very much like the first salesman. Everybody here is barefoot. Endless opportunities. Enclosed are the first thousand orders for the first thousand pairs of shoes. More to come. Think about that. The first person, same situation. First person doesn't see the opportunity. Doesn't do anything besides taking five minutes and then quits. The second person sees a challenge sees opportunity in the same situation and responds to that challenge. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, as the world gets worse and our country starts plummeting into economic and political chaos, there are going to be opportunities everywhere to bring people to the cross and to have their souls saved and maybe even get healed while they're at it. Again, we can be like those four friends. But the bottom line is whether we're talking about Adam, or excuse me, Adam, back in Genesis... <laughs> You just ruined the whole ending. <laughs> Whether we're talking about Matthew or we're talking about the paralytic, both had to do the same thing. They both first had to respond by getting up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. It's always refreshing, and there's so many things we can find in it. And my pastor always taught me when I put a message together, it's more challenging to know what to leave out than what to put.